In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, what's happening in OSINT? Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what's happening in open source intelligence or OSINT. So, this is one of those episodes where I was talking about the early beginning of this year of, of things I'm trying out. This is like an open mic type of thing. This is a lot like the conference podcast that I have where I sit down in person with, with several security professionals. We just kind of BS. We just hit record and go. This is along those same lines. Um, this is, we are not sitting all together. We are just sitting on Skype and I pretty much just told them, I'm just going to hit record whenever. And so just, you know, expect things to be recording already. And we'll just kind of dive into it there. So I want to kind of have more of a casual feel to it. I had uh, Michael Hoffman, Kirby Plessis, and Josh Huff, uh, three three people in the open source intelligence community um, that are both contributing and, and doing a lot of this work in their day-to-day roles. And so I had these three on and we took questions from people on Twitter. I just kind of threw it out there. I could turn this into an open, you know, it's an open mic type of thing, but we, we could do this where it's more interactive. I, I have a Twitch account. We could set it up to where uh, I'm streaming it live and you guys can interact with the guests and the hosts. Um, I just need to know, I need to get feedback from people on, on how uh, how much they like the idea or if you listen to it and you, you just don't want to hear it ever again, let me know about that. Uh, we wouldn't have necessarily the same people on. Maybe maybe we would have another OSINT later in the year, but we could, we could also you know, do some different topics with some different professionals. So this, again, this is just something I'm, I'm kind of playing around with. This is an hour and a half long. So this is one of the longer uh, episodes, um, which hopefully helps out Cody and his drive. Uh, hey, Bobby, how are you? And um, it's also explicit. It's gonna be marked as explicit because I did allow swearing. I'm not gonna go back and edit it out. I tried to be very light on the editing. Did mostly like quality of of life type of stuff, taking out clicks, taking out when we're talking over each other, things like that. And I tried to try to leave it as as raw as possible, but I did go back and edit some of it. So it is massive. Um, so if you have kids in the car, uh, there is a little bit of swearing in the in this episode. So just to give you a heads up on that. Um, you can hit me up. It's uh, for feedback on this, Timothy D. Block on Twitter. My DMs are open. Timothy.dblock at gmail.com uh, is my email address. You can also just leave a comment on the website, timothydblock.com forward slash EIS. And you can leave it on the show notes there. You can go there for show notes for some of the things that we've talked about in in the episode. So I think that is pretty much it. Uh, I also would love feedback on whether or not it was helpful that we did introductions at the end. I know that, um, you know, I just kind of mentioned who was all on it. uh, But I know when you introduce people that sometimes it can be initially, it can be hard to follow who's who and who's talking. And especially if you're kind of new to the episode, um, or we have new guests on which which we do in, in Kirby. Um, so let me know. I'm, I'm kind of playing around with that to see if that works better. Maybe it was too. Maybe I can explain who's who in, in, in the intro like this. Um, let me know either way. I'd really, really like to get your feedback on it. I know who's who because I have their names in front of me, but I want to take the listeners into account on this. So with that, we'll get to the episode. I hope that they're laughing at home, but I, I don't know if they are. Yeah. 
I agree. It's very, very <laughs> I just did icy. like a bunch of webinars this week and it's like, if, if nobody's there for me to feed <laughs> off of, I speed up and pretty soon I am an auctioneer out there. You know? <laughs> so. Which webinar did you do? We did a, a series of five this week. Let's see. Let me go look at my calendar because I can't even remember what I did yesterday. Let's see. We had um, mapping web network, mapping a social media network, uh, verifying photos, dark web 101, and OSINT for, what was that one? Oh, for Bitcoin. OSINT for Bitcoin, huh? Yeah. So. That's a new one we're kind of cracking out there, you know, and we're trying to like, you know, go through, of course, all the OSINT uh, tracking and stuff, but then also trying to you know, dive into where could they be advertising these, you know, OSINT or these um, Bitcoin, you know, wallets and, and understanding the, what the, the, you know, wallet, the Bitcoin ID, all this kind of different things. So is it just, is it just like looking for it in like code or? No, no. Um, mostly just, just trying to see like, like dark web, for example, somebody says, okay, here's my Bitcoin address. Okay. From there, what else can I get besides tracking the, you know, funds that went in and out of it? You know, can I get more information about that person's ID? It's difficult, but um, there's there's stuff out there. So. so so the next question is, is Kirby, is that available to the public? Or are you doing that for your YouTube channel? Are you doing that for your customers? It is um, a webinar that's in our portal. So, I mean, it's behind a subscription wall. People pay for the webinar itself. You know, they, you know, can watch it, but they don't have to necessarily be subscribers. But now it's behind the subscriber wall. But it is something that I'm going out and adding to courses. So, for example, next, uh, next this this week I have a class in the DC area. But the week after I have another one that's actually a dark web class for um, uh, it's a private class, but it's for the Northern Virginia Criminal Justice Academy. And we're it's a dark web class. We're going to talk about the Bitcoin stuff there. What a great service. That is awesome. Where's So where's your stuff online? Online. Um, it, okay, so my website is plesis.net. Our online portal is at plesis.mykajabi.com. I don't know if you've heard of Kajabi before. It's an education portal. How do you spell uh, that? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> let me start by spelling my own name. Because <laughs> I know that, that one's confusing everybody. So so the portal is at plesis, P-L-E. S-S-A-S dot mykajabi M-Y-K-A-J-A-B-I dot com Wait, I, I don't know if I got that. Is it <laughs> M-Y-K-A-J-A-B-I? Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> I feel like we're being fished right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just log in with your Google ID? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, so Kajabi is a educational uh, software. It's so nice. I have to tell you, I love this this software. We were using another really nice one before called Bloomfire, and Bloomfire is awesome. It's got so many capabilities, but it just turned out like we couldn't afford it. So we went to Kajabi, and Kajabi's perfect for for what we're doing. And so we have all of our portal in there. We've got some short educational videos under in our training section, our webinar series uh, that has just the webinars we do. We're trying to do five per month. And then, you know, when I find OSINT news, I cram it into our little news section. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And this is a subscription-based thing? Yep. And then if for um, large organizations, we 
kind of build out an, a whole section just for them. So you don't see it on their front page, but we've got a couple of organizations that have their own individual portals. And what organizations are you working with? Some of them don't want me to tell you, but some, a lot yeah, of them that, are, that, that was a fish question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and they actually specifically do not want. Right. It. And I also, I never put, here's the organizations, you know, I, right, I just right. never do that. So. Yeah. No, I like every once in a while, like I help, uh, I help, I sit with developers and I help them with some, sometimes with their help desk issues, uh, like batteries not working or things like that. Um, but every, every once in a while I'll be like, Hey, can I get you using my password? Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, yeah. thankfully they know better and they have never given it to me. Oh, good. Um, they were like, ah, I see what you're doing. So I was like, good job. You get a gold star. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Exploiting people's trust. One yeah. person at a time. Way to go, Tim. <laughs> well, if I don't do it, if I don't do it, the bad guys can do it. <laughs> That's right. All right. I'm educating people. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> pretty much what it is. I'm educating them by turning their email inside out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I also, um, I also like to try piggybacking on people because I, I, we've, we've harped on them about piggybacking. So every once in a while, I just try to come in just to see if they'll actually stop me. Um, my favorite targets, though, are like the people on the security team. And <laughs> I actually tried to follow one of our juniors the other day and he was like, he stopped me. He's about as tall as me, probably a little bit bigger. And he's like, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, you're badging in. I was like, good job. Yeah, this was just a test. I didn't actually leave my badge at my desk. Yeah. 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 Uh, I have had done that before, though. So and then I actually did have to piggyback in on someone. So, yeah. Breaking rules. Yeah. <laughs> Is that so? Would that be OSINT? Like no, social engineering. In? It's usually it's usually thought of as like social engineering or even a physical pen test. If you can bypass the the uh, controls that would keep people out. If you're doing it without interacting with people, then it's probably more likely a physical assessment. Um, but if you're doing it to try to trick somebody to let you in, then that could be within the realm of social engineering. Yeah. Well. Yeah, well, I, I'm thinking like I don't know. What, what, is just sitting in a car, um, OSINT, like you know, watching people. Would that be considered open source intelligence? If you're if you're not interacting with it, you're just kind of jotting it down and gathering the information. You're saying like physical surveillance. Yeah, is that just surveillance and not OSINT, or like where where does open source start and end? I would apply surveillance into the. It's similar to reconnaissance when it comes to uh, red team. Um, with any OSINT um, path or technique that I consider taking, there's always a bit of studying to where we're, we're going to kind of watch the ins and outs of the the system, be it you know social media or you know people coming and going from a store or something like that. You know, so it, I believe that's kind of an early stage of of the OSINT process. I would consider it OSINT. So I would I would almost draw the line of where recon goes into OSINT or where that barrier is by the accessibility of the information. So with OSINT, my thought is anybody could get this data. They might not be, or most people could gain access to the data. They might not be looking for it. For instance, OSINT can be going down to your courthouse and looking through physical permits that businesses have submitted there, uh, but those might not be online. That's OSINT. Yeah, Sitting outside somebody's house with a camera or a, a device sniffing their Wi-Fi, I don't think of that as, as more OSINT. I think it was more as targeted recon. I kind of agree with you. So have you heard of the term gray literature? 
No. Anyone? So gray literature is kind of like what you said with the courthouse documents where they're maybe not online. You have to actually get them, but it's still considered OSINT. So um, I'm just trying to see if anybody has anything online about this. So, yeah. So if you even search OSINT and gray literature, so the idea is like maybe a news uh, a newsletter published. It's not online. It's something that's published physically, put in front of like a grocery store in some neighborhood. And you have to be in that neighborhood to actually go get that newsletter. That's still OSINT. It's just gray literature. So I am familiar with the the Fifty Shades of Grey literature, but I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't uh, quite up on this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the Fifty Shades, but <laughs> uh, of course, maybe <laughs> there could be you know intersection there somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Is that in the same vein as, uh, I mean, uh, if you have to get information through a FOIA request, is that going to be considered open after you had it, even though you had to request it? Good question. You know, uh, we used to call that ask int. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you ask and get the intelligence. <laughs> I mean, you're, if, by asking, you're finding out if it's openly yeah. available or if right. they're going to give it to you, I guess that's the, the gray area I mean, there. The thing is like, you know, you call some, uh, a business and ask them a question. It, what is that? Is it, I mean, it, social engineering. It's like, well, I mean, even if it's not social engineering, maybe it's not something that they consider private. You're just asking for like a, pri a price list or something like that. And they, they have it. It's not online. It's not private. They just tell you. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's actually something. So I've had Taz on before to discuss OSINT. Um, in a really early episode, it's probably been over a year now. And that was my question was, you know, when you're, if you're social engineering someone to get information, is that OSINT? Um, I think we also talked about dumpster diving. Um, and I would call it, dumpster diving is like great literature. It means there, anybody could get it. Right, right. And that's kind of where I felt, but I felt like the social engineering, you're almost at that point, you've gone from OSINT to, uh, as Mike mentioned earlier, like, uh, social engineering. I agree. But just calling somebody is not necessarily social engineering. You're not misrepresenting yourself. You're not getting anything from, you know, private. Right. Yep. I agree. So I guess would that then be like the authentic? It, it, I guess it determines the motivation where you're just, you are just asking and that's like you're directly asking, not like trying to influence. But then I'd say that maybe that's not OSINT either because OSINT is more passive. You're looking. You're not touching. Right. And that's, I think that gets into, that's where like, there's a gray area and there's, yeah. I don't know if you guys do, do, do you, cause you guys have the OSINT Slack channel. Do you guys have these type of debates in there? Oh, I'm not, I don't think we've really talked about this, but I have to say that, you know, uh, this kind of debate definitely happens at certain organizations. Like, like a gray area or something. Mm -hmm. Who gets, who, who's in charge of this kind of, you know, it, what's the person who does this job, Right. Because there's this gray area and there's this, you know, kind of divide. You, especially in the, you know, you talk about federal government and the agencies. They have, you know, an office that does OSINT, an office that does human, whatever. Who gets those middle lines? Yeah. Then within the cyber world, within uh, information security, uh, we usually draw those lines according. Draw the line for for OSINT and and the amount of recon that we do, depending upon. Uh, usually it's ac accessibility of information because um, we have usually tight deadlines. I would almost say in Kirby, Josh, Tim, you 
correct me here. I would say that in the pen testing world, uh, and sometimes the defense world, we we have such tight deadlines that we can't cast as broad a net as you would if you had a multi-week or multi-month uh, longer-term engagement with an organization. So sometimes our our OSINT that we do is is kind of surface level OSINT and any cool scripts that we know to go a little deeper but faster. I agree. So you're talking more uh, scope of of uh, pen tests a little bit too, right? You know, we know what's what's allowed and what's not because of the the scope that's spelled out beforehand. Yeah, and that scope is interesting, too, because if you think about uh, some of the more classic intelligence type of gathering efforts for nation states and, and organizations, uh, within the pen test defender role, we have uh, people that put arbitrary shackles on us that say, well, no, you can't do this. No, no, you know, y- you could get that information. We understand that somebody could get that theoretically, but we don't want you doing it. Um, so we have those those kind of handcuffs put on us to guide what we can and can't do. And I understand there's legal and ethical implications uh, that are placed on people in other types of OSINT engagements as well. I just think that within within pen testing and, and cyber in general, we, we sometimes will, um, will hobble our teams so that they can't go as deep as they want, either because we can't fund them with time or resources or they don't have access to the right tools. Um, so, so from my perspective, I've been in an organization where um, we we did that. We limited scope um, fishing, for example. We're like, we know it works. We understand that. We're working on training. We're working on this, um, but we want to we want to focus in on like some of the more technical aspects of can you break in without fishing. So, I mean, sometimes there are good, and I get that some organizations are like, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. And then, you know, so it's like, if it's not there, we don't have to worry about, you know, there's, there's a ignorance is bliss mentality for some people. But I, I've also been on the side where it's like, yeah, we, we understand that this easy stuff over here, this is like low hanging fruit and it's low hanging fruit. That's really hard to, to, to deal with as far as, you know, people clicking on links and filling in creds. So we want you to focus in on like. What are some of the more things that we can control from a technical standpoint that can, you know, help us provide us with better solutions and, and filling in uh, areas of need as, as far as security goes? Yeah, if you're being tactical like that and testing certain pieces of of an organization or their technologies to see if those have gaps, yes, the the tactical type of of don't do this, but do that absolutely um, it can help um, get the get the organization the answers it wants. Um, I have seen more general pen tests, more general assessments where an organization says, hey, do anything you want. Oh, but don't do that. It'll be too easy. And and it gets a little frustrating, even, you know, if we move beyond OSINT just to general pen testing, um, taking things off the seven off the table can give or create or continue to keep organizations in um, focusing on things that are not in their blind spots. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're on the same page there. Cool. I think um, another thing to consider is like, you know, we're, we consider ourselves OSINT professionals or, you know, security professionals, whatever our actual role is. Um, I went and pulled the 
the definition that I gave at my first DerbyCon talk, um, just to reread it. And it, it was kind of a good embodiment of like that ethical line to follow. Um, dude's name was Michael. He's a .NET developer, um, but he had a thing on OSINT on his blog. It said, the main thing to remember is OSINT is about examining information and data that's public and should not involve invasions of privacy. Legitimate researcher must know where the line is drawn between OSINT and espionage, the latter including stuff like eliciting information, actual illegal network penetration, and eavesdropping. In other words, gaining information that hasn't proactively been made public. I think that's a, a, a good thing to remember is that you know we're, we're doing this as good guys, and I, I feel like we know where that line is in in general, plus in the the scope of our our job or our, our intelligence task. I would agree with that. I think that every OSINT practitioner needs their own kind of ethics statement. There was a point where I put one on a blog and it went kind of, you know, got quoted everywhere. Um, that blog, I, I kind of let it go because it was more against somebody who had like misstepped on the ethics. So I don't want to like keep their name in the news forever because again, my ethics statement says that I'm not going to do that. So, um, but everyone should have their own kind of ethics statement. Well, let me ask you this, uh, mm-hmm. changing the conversation um, or, or allowing the natural flow here. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you all ever encountered somebody who's come up to you and said, Hey, listen, I got this great OSINT thing. And what they present to you is, is really uh, going across either your lines for ethics or even possibly going across the lines for, for legal. And if so, um, if you don't mind sharing, what did you do? silence <laughs> no you know I, I would say i've had i've had people ask questions can i do this or hey is what will you do this but i don't think i've had anybody come across and like anything that i would consider either crossing my lines or legal lines i would yeah, advise I, them if they had yeah I, I haven't had that experience and micah it sounds like you may have <laughs> <laughs> yeah tell us a story so tell us yeah oh, no no no, no, it's interesting because uh, you know a lot of a lot of OSINT people have very private lives. We've we've discussed this privately. Um, that you know there's a, there's a distinct uh, willfulness to to say I I do OSINT and I want to be out there and, and share my knowledge with people. Um, and when you do that. Some people come, I've had people hit me up on Twitter and I love interacting with them. My DMs are open for people to direct message me. And, and sometimes people will say, Hey, you know what? I'm, uh, can you just look up this person? Well, tell me why you want me to look up this person. (laughs) Who are you? What relationship are they? And, and, you know, at first I've become very suspicious because I have no idea who these people are. And it's like, Hey, here's a challenge for you. Why don't you go ahead and and do research on this company and get it back to me? Well, (laughs) and um, put that in a contract and we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Show me the money. Yeah. Yeah, is this a state an RFP? But I mean, those kinds of things are are interesting, and and they happen. And you know, a lot of people mean very well. They uh, they're just interested or excited about things. Um, I think OSINT is moving. Um, and again, I'm interested to hear what you all think. Uh, in cyber, we have capture the flags, which are appropriate places to show your skills. With OSINT, yeah, there are a couple of OSINT capture the flags out there. But usually what I see is people practicing their skills on John Q. Public. 
and you know just pulling other information now i know josh you had a a post about you know being ethically responsible when when doing OSINT work and and sharing information so that you're not using just regular public people as uh, as examples. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on all that. Uh, yeah, I mean that that blog post basically was my ethics statement, kind of like uh, Kirby said earlier. Um, it's anything that that I'm gonna post as as research uh, publicly or you know to help people learn about OSINT um, in that blog I, I think I, I did uh, OSINT on somebody named Danny Tanner uh, out in California you know somebody that is gonna probably get googled every once in a while because of you know the the likeliness to full house um, so if you're gonna put something out there in the public make sure that they're already kind of there themselves or take the precaution to um, go through and, and blur out the private data that shouldn't be put out there for them um, by us as researchers. So I, I do try to follow that as as close, closely as I can. Um, and I, I have had people come up to me after talks and say, hey, do you know about this tactic? And most of those have been pretty much um, real OSINT tactics every once in a while. I think uh, we get a, a, a secret or a, almost a, a vulnerability that probably should be corrected. And we just kind of make sure that we uh, have that conversation offline. And, and if it is an issue um, legally for something that, you know, the, the right companies are notified, I think. Yeah. As far as the privacy for people that you use as examples, I would agree with that. I dox myself most of the time. Because, and, and I'm out there. I haven't removed myself from very many search engines just so that I can. Um, and also so I can kind of feel the pain of what the privacy thing is. I haven't had any real bad, um, you know, things happen with that. They, you know, there might have some, but I, you know, I kind of try to balance it out. Um, I do, in some cases, I'll be doing kind of an example on a website, for example, we were taking some websites where people were in this last, in the webinar Monday, where people were publishing, you know, and selling uh, credit cards, scanned credit cards with CVVs. And so we were kind of tracking down and we get to some actual people's names and I want to, and I clarify, I say, okay, this person appears to be, you know, attached to this. But as far as we know right now, like right in the webinar, make sure that we say this person right now, we have no confirmation. We were just getting, you know, this name appears to be connected. But um, when I publish videos, for example, I'm about to publish a video on just a simple video on finding the Facebook ID, the different places where it is, you know, inside the web page. Um, and I'm going to blank out a lot of names and ID numbers. And it's going to, you know, look funny, but it's, you're still going to be able to know where it is, you know. And I do it on my own so you can see mine. But I don't want to, you know, the other kind of examples. I don't want to expose anybody on YouTube forever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually have a question for Josh because Josh did reach out to me um, mm -hmm. several months ago. He's like, hey, can I use your name in like some kind of competition or something? Or maybe it was like a CTF or something. Did, did anything ever happen with that? No, I think... Um it, it it's a future project. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just didn't know if you had like done some with it, and I was just like, I you never like told me, hey, it's live or anything. But. No, no, you're you're not a uh, you're not out there in a, a hidden blog somewhere for people to find. <laughs> not not yet. Not yet. Yeah, Josh, Josh, I think one of our one of his first presentations was at Colosec, and I was like, you can use me if you want, and I was actually curious to see what he could find. 
which I don't think you really found a whole lot. Um, yeah, I think your your deepest level stuff was like some of the old blog things, and uh, you right. know, the, the those are those are interesting. Uh, doing OSINT on yourself, it's always fun to find those like original like internet things that you put out there a long time ago. Right. Um, I, I've got a I think a PlayStation uh, forum somewhere that's got my Beowulf eighty eight handle tied to a Metal Gear Solid like online record or something. Nice. <laughs> I got a more embarrassing one. I uh, when I was in in uh, college, way long time ago, uh, we had Usenet groups, and you know I I was active in in uh, biking at the time, and I just uh, had a, a bicycling accident and just laid my bike down and got road rash all up and down my leg. It was terrible, and so I started shaving my legs because you know when when you're doing racing and stuff and you lay your bike down, it it's painful to have all those hairs and the open wounds and infection. And I hope this part gets removed from the podcast. <laughs> but, uh, so I submitted some stuff about shaving legs and stuff for biking purposes, uh, to a Usenet group. And you know, like 10 years later, I'm I pulled that up and like, ah, oh, I hope one day this goes away. And it did. It went away for like five years. And then Google's like, Hey, Remember those Usenet groups? Yeah, they're now indexable. You can search it. <laughs> no. So Micah shaves his legs. No, I did it one time. Do you really? Do you really want me to remove that from the podcast? <laughs> no. I feel like that needs no. to stay in. It's fine. It's fine. It's out there. Hey, I and can... no, I mean, it really does speak to finding out what's out there about you. I I mm. did a, a talk as Kirby mentioned. Uh, I did a talk for my company where I said, you know, what can I find out about myself in 10 minutes? So just using what's out there. And I, unlike Kirby, I do try to remove <laughs> some of my persona from the internet. So I figured, hey, this is on a security aware person that's done all the right things or a lot of the right things to remove their data. Let's see what you can find. And I'd gone into all my social medias and, you know, tweak the privacy settings, but what I found when I was making these slides is that one of the social media applications that I use changed their privacy settings since the last time I had used them. And when I looked what the public could see, they could see all my stuff just hanging out there. It's like, great. So now I have to set a reminder to check all of the, you know, all of the security settings to see if the damn company has changed them. Right. That yeah. is one of my pet peeves that they, you know, if you don't, if you don't, when they change their privacy settings, if you don't decide to delete your account from right then, then you have agreed to their new privacy settings and you're not using it anymore. Something like MySpace or Friends or whatever. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've been fairly careful. Like you, Kirby, I kind of balance it. I mean, I have a podcast, I have a website, I speak. So there's going to be some level of information out there on me. But I try to minimize how much my family's out there and you know, you could probably go to public records to find a bunch of, you know, addresses I used to live at and things like that. So I haven't like gone back and necessarily wiped out all that stuff. But I've always tried to be careful with a lot of that stuff just at, at the outset. Um, I can remember I, I deleted my Facebook when I when they announced graphs. I was like, nope, I'm done. And that was more just a placeholder anyways. And, you know, I, I do have still like LinkedIn, I think, is one of the shadiest uh social media websites but it's out there for you know it, it's also out there for a professional reason right yeah i always say that in my courses linkedin is the creepiest one and nobody knows it right well th well th they've been caught several times like i get you know 
people but the get, basic public doesn't pay attention at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, it's like your, their motto is like, at least we're not Facebook. <laughs> right. Yet. <laughs> All right. So kind of speaking along that, we do have a question um, from Crypto Cypher. Uh, how would you recommend that someone becomes an independent OSINT consultant? I think Kirby's the best uh, one to talk about this one. I can throw you under the bus. Sure. You know, like there's so many different paths to it, though. So the path I took, of course... I went into, into intelligence and went up a whole different like way. I started with SIGINT. Um, but the, the whole key is still going to be the same. Prove your shit, right? Can I swear on the podcast? Sure. <laughs> uh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I asked after. Okay. Yeah, I did now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you know, you, you prove your shit. You, you, you prove that you can do it. And, you, and if you don't have uh, some place to kind of show that publish it and don't don't do it unethically like don't you know put people's names out there for innocent you know victims of things or whatever but you know prove that you can do it get get yourself a blog get trying to you know attend the conferences first but then try to start speaking at conferences that's going to be i think conferences is the best you know not only networking but the best way to find your customers they know that you they see that you can do it that you show them right there that you do you're doing it and i never use slides i do everything live which has its own problems, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, you just, you prove that it's, you can do it right there. Yeah. I think that, that you mentioned a, a very good point is that you have to, if you're going to be going out and doing your own thing, whatever the field is, you need to have people that believe that you can accomplish their goals that, that are willing to pay you to do that and to, to establish those credentials you can either have a personal relationship with somebody or a professional relationship with somebody. Hey, I worked with you for five years. You know I'm a good person. I'm hanging up my shingle, and I want you to come and pay me to do the same stuff I was doing for you. Um, that works, especially to get your your first customers. And then um, if one of the things I found is that not everybody is the same as me. I know it, it, it was a hard lesson for me to learn, but but – it, it kind of makes sense that not everybody likes standing up and speaking in front of audiences. Not a lot of people uh, are good at putting words down, uh, not saying that I am, but uh, would even want to write a blog. Uh, but they are amazing OSINT people. So I think I'll, I'll tweak what I was saying earlier and find your niche where you feel comfortable about sharing whether it's YouTube or a podcast or whatever. And if you're looking to cast a wider net for your, your customers, find your niche and then do whatever it is that you do best. Yeah. You got to know your, uh, your confidence uh, level for sure. Um, so I'll, I'll echo Kirby, you know, know, know your shit. Um, Cause one of the things of uh, consulting is you're going to have to do consultations with potential clients and they're going to straight up ask you, can you find this? Um, you know, are, are you able, are you going to be able to go on the dark web? I think so somebody's posting stuff about me on the dark web. Well, you know, if, if you're not the best at, at searching on the dark web, you know, that's going to come out in your immediate response to the client. Um, I, I have a lot of consultations for digital forensics and it's the same way. You know, I, I think somebody's doing this on their mobile phone. Are you going to be able to, to give me the messages that they're using inside app number one, number two, and number three? And I need to be able to tell them we're not going to get a whole lot out of app number one because of encryption. Um, but two and three are going to be wide open books. So, you know, if, if you know that 
the communication is in those channels, yes, I can get that information for you. It's going to be that confidence level that you you communicate to them uh, when they're potentially going to give you their business. So, so what experience is really helpful? Um, Kirby mentioned SIGINT. Um, would something like private investigation, like working for a private investigator, um, I guess maybe something else I'm not thinking about. There's so many, so many paths into it now, but yeah, private investigator or else maybe working for, maybe you're a developer for one of the startups over in Silicon Valley and you see how this stuff works. Another one that's great is marketers. Marketers are great at this stuff. They just use it for a different purpose. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, with spam. No, I I agree with what Kirby says. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that I found was, um, I don't know if you know him from from SANS, Jason Blanchard. He's spoken at DerbyCon and some other places. He's like a a really cool marketing dude for SANS. And I was able to talk to him about um, Google AdWords and the Twitter promoted tweets and all. And to see the back end on what these systems that are based upon our marketing and advertising can do it's essentially doing what we want to do. Jason, in one of his talks, was talking about how to get his uh, and get a job. He um, went ahead and created these very tight ads that he delivered to a very tight population of people um, via social media, and he targeted them day after day after day. and And you think about it sometimes, you know, when you're doing OSINT, you're focused on a group of people, a certain demographic. And uh, so, yeah, the marketing tools and advertising tools can be very powerful. And just marketing skills, too. Forget the tools, but just the know-how. Yeah. Very good point. Mm-hmm. The mindset. I think, I think that's yes. one of the main things, you know, that uh, Josh and I were talking about this is having, having an OSINT mindset is it's extremely important. Uh, not just accepting what the tool gives you, but wondering what the next piece is. What, what, what would this mean to somebody or why should I care? Having that, let me take this a little further. Um, that's an incredible trait to have. And it can be taught, um, but a lot of the people that I've seen that are amazing OSINTers or pen testers, um, that's just how they're wired. I agree. That mindset, I don't think you, I mean, you say it can be taught. Yeah, it can, but there's, that person's got to be interested. Yeah. Now, now, what do you uh, clarify that mindset a little bit? What, what do you mean by that? Uh, if you're uh, consistently practicing OSINT, you just start to get a feel for the way that things are connected. Um, I guess the a simplest example I can give you is I um, locally I'll shop at Target, and every once in a while I'll get a coupon set from Target that is specific coupons for things I've purchased from them. So I start thinking, all right, you know, there's a marketing connection here. What is it? I, I use one credit card when I shop there. I don't have any Target credit card. I don't have any, there's, there's no like rewards program that's, you know, siphoning my data. That means that my bank is sharing my purchase information with Target and then they're sending me the coupons to get me to go back. That's the way that I think, you know, my credit card is connected to Target's marketing and Target's marketing gets enough data to to reach back out to me. That's that little chain link of, of things that I think about. And you do that with OSINT too. You know, the, the email address is tied to this person's Twitter account. The Twitter profile has their deviant art profile. And like, you, you, you just know that all those connections are there. And the more you do, the more of those connections become kind of apparent or you can figure them out. Yeah. Or, or you just know that it might be out there. I think uh, the way that I like, 
doing things and, and uh, you know, you, I have a process for uh, I'm going to take this information, then I'm going to gather the information back. I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to pivot from there. But from that pivot, you have to un- to be able to identify what the pivot points are, which which are just other places to find, to, to do searching on or to do uh, gathering on. To understand what those pivot points are, you have to be aware that that the opportunity exists. So you have to be aware that there's a website that will allow you to do this or a tool that will, will help you harvest that. So being aware of the tools is, is one piece of it, but then applying that to the data that you're doing and the analysis, uh, it, those are all essential skills that are kind of tied together. Let me add one more thing to this. When you see that tool that comes up, so that say maybe this cool new tool comes out and they advertise, here's what we do, and everybody's you know excited and using the tool, but you see, oh, but they also do this, and they, maybe the tool creators don't even know it. You can see, like, because you know those connections, that oh, this this can also get me this little piece of information that actually is more important than what their tool you know is supposed to be doing. So yeah. is is this an ability to understand how things work? And the underlying, I think that's the theme I keep drawing out from that. Yeah, the the general hacker mindset of how things are connected and how they how they work together definitely is. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the the Tinder like web version got released, and immediately I was just like, "Cool, what can I find out?" Like I, I went to View Page Source and just started digging into the links to find out what else the web version of of Tinder was giving us and how we could apply it to to OSINT research. Yeah, there's so so in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of pen testing in in cybery fields, there's this body of knowledge that you have to have. Uh, you have to understand how networking works at the you know TCP, UDP, IP, other types of networking. Uh, you have to understand how systems work. I think within the OSINT world, you have to understand people, but you also have to understand how the systems, like Josh was saying, is is an exact is an excellent example. H- how systems work that collect organize and store user data are. Um, if you understand, uh, I had somebody come up to me in, in the class one time and he said, listen, I used to work within one of these data aggregator companies and I can't tell you about what we used to do, but the sheer amount of information that that we have based upon all of those wonderful um, cards that you use for, for loyalty at, at CVS or other places and all of the information about your driving habits and, and where you go, and we collect and compile all that and it's available if you can afford it. Um, so understanding that that's out there um, can help you, one, be a better uh, O-Center, but also it, it helps just normal people understand how to minimize or possibly minimize the data that's collected about them. Tim, you mentioned about Facebook and some of the shady things it was doing. Kirby mentioned LinkedIn doing similar stuff. You know, people have have uh, the ability to opt out of using those platforms. Yeah, it's still they still will have profiles there, those shadow profiles yeah. about things that people are posting. But, but I've actually dropped off of Facebook because I don't like the the things that they're doing. Can I add another example? Kind of talking back to Josh's example about Tinder. And no. Josh, I think you're actually the one. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Josh is the one who actually brought this up. You know, the new SnapMap one. Most people are going to go and look and be like, oh, yay, SnapMap. Now you can watch, you know, whatever on the web. But 
you can also download the videos directly from there. And that's one of the problems that people are having is actually getting the stuff off snap without like letting alerting people. I mean, there's techniques, but why not make it easy and just download it from the snap map, right? Yeah, it was uh, to me when I saw that it was like, cool, the data is more accessible. Let's see what we can do with it. It's immediate. I don't know. That's just my mindset. When, when I see a new version of, you know, the, the same social media out there, it's like, what else can we do with it? Go. Well, and, but to Tim's point earlier, you said, what else can we do with it? But you were looking at the HTML source code of the page, and you did bring some of those more computery skills to OSINT to say, well, you know, I, I can look at where this is happening, but look, now I have a direct link to a video, and I can download that. So I guess, Tim, going back to the original question, yeah, you have to understand computer systems, human systems, and those places that put everything together. Good. It's a it's a nice little wrap up. I like how you just neatly packaged that up. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so kind of along those same lines, I think we touched on some of this. Um, but Adam and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, so I apologize in advance. Schweizer on Twitter asked, uh, and he asked he actually asked a few questions, but I think we've already covered some of that. So I'll just focus on the ones that we hadn't yet. What what job roles are using OSINT the most? What job fields? What job roles? And and maybe I can, job I can roles? Oh. yeah, and maybe I can clarify uh, further, or kind of give an example here is, um, or just answer the question myself, and I'll let you guys tack on. Um, I kind of see it as, and this is this is something because I work in an organization on a blue team. I see its usefulness just about everywhere. Um, we we have had some things that we've had to do. Um, you know, uh, I can say like acquisitions within an organization or, or you know, if, if your company's making an acquisition, doing OSINT can be beneficial to the business side as far as making a decision uh, about stuff and also looking for red flags. You know, if you're making an acquisition of a company that deals in sensitive information, is that stuff out there? Is there a breach somewhere that you could potentially find? Um, you know, are, do they have a bunch of stuff and like things like, have I been pwned things like that? Uh, but I've also made the case for, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I work with a development team and, and I've seen their documentation for, they go out to, to competitive, uh, competitor clinics and stuff. And they're taking like screenshot or they're, they're taking pictures with like their phones of, you know, how they're, they're doing things, how their interface is set up and they're bringing it back here and kind of building out an interface that's either similar or different. Um, and I was like, you know, we can go look for like code on the competitor. We can go, you know, see what, what they have out available that maybe they didn't secure. Do they have an S3 bucket out there with, with a bunch of, uh, useful information that we can use internally. Um, so I just, I don't know, I, I, as, as far as job roles go, I feel like OSINT can, is, is a very broad and, and useful for a lot of different people. Well, and, and Kirby, correct me here, because you, you've, uh, you've been in certain areas of OSINT that I haven't. What I think is, is that in the recent years, OSINT has taken on a different shape. Uh, it used to classically be be um, uh, be recognized within the Intel community as open source intelligence, which could mean everything from radio signals and television signals to to computer systems um, and and stuff that was on there. But but now, I mean, as you mentioned, OSINT is is something that's more of a becoming a mainstream term where we're talking about business competitors. Uh, like what you were talking about. We're talking about um, 
parents that are going online and looking to see information <laughs> about their their babysitter or their nanny or the daycare it, it's looking at research it, it's looking at information online to to answer some question um would you agree with that kirby i would you know um when i when you say the question to me it sounds like he's asking you know who, what's the market who's the who's my customers if i decide to be a professional at this everyone is your customer there are so many different avenues for it. I tend to look specifically down intelligence and investigations paths, but there's so many. And I realize like how big this field is. And there's a lot of room for more consultants and, and specializing, specialize on a niche at first, you know, but there's so mm -hmm. many different possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had phishing emails where we where you know, they, they send me phishing emails, say, Hey, this, is this a phishing email or not? And it ends up being uh, a marketer or recruiter or something. And, you know, I found out that because I went online and Googled it and pulled up their like Instagram account, which isn't anything related to their business account. But it's like, OK, yeah, this is a real person. Yeah. And and within the, the business field, depending upon where you live, we talked earlier about Europe's privacy laws. Um, but depending on where you live and what what your company wants to do, there's a lot of just regular business processes that can be augmented with OSINT from the hiring and firing processes of uh, to um, things that are doing like executive profiles or high pro high um, a public figure type of profiles to see what the exposure of somebody is on the internet to doing things um, on the dark web with finding uh, credit cards and other information that shouldn't be out there. There's oh, a lot of things. I've got another example that kind of goes off way off the side of these ones. So I have a friend who at one point had a firm that was just profiling Iraqi politics. This is post invasion, you know, but he's profiling the low-level ones so that companies could decide whether they wanted to invest in different industries in those cities. So you could do that in the United States. You could profile the different, um, you know, you have a small town in Texas. You could profile, hey, here's what's going on in this town, and here's the investment possibilities, and, and this elected official would be for it, and this one would be against it, and things like that. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Do, uh, basically, due diligence for you – could, you can consider due diligence in right. – a bunch of different arrays. I mean, um, professionally, um, I do digital forensics, but it's for a private investigation firm. And as as you would imagine, for private investigators, OSINT is huge, and, and it's become, I think, more so in, in the in the last several years, kind of like the shift that Micah is talking about because there's so much more access to everything. So many more people are online and connected with different, you know, means that there's more options there. You know, the, um, the field investigators will, will ping me randomly on a case and they're trying to locate, you know, somebody and where they would usually follow like a, a GPS tracker or something, you know, they just got a Instagram picture that showed them picking up somebody at a school and then, you know, they'll send that to me and say, you know, hey, can you pick out enough of this terrain to tell us where they're at? Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. But that's, you know, the the expansiveness of, of the OSINT as a field. Um, there's a lot of different professions that, that you could leverage your way into with OSINT as a skill. Um, so I'm looking at Adam's question on Twitter here. He has a whole bunch of other questions in there. Like uh, one of them is uh, how much computer science is needed to do OSINT professionally. Um, can we tackle that one real quick? 
Well, I, I kind of felt like we did when when you were talking about Josh, but yeah, if you guys want to expand on that, um. yeah, yeah, just briefly, I I think you know. Uh, computer science type of skills, programming, uh, understanding networks and all, it can help you in certain parts of OSINT. Um, the thing that I've found is more helpful is understanding web technologies, uh, specifically since a lot of the information that we use in OSINT is either on a website, a web service, a mobile device that sends information over the web. Um, understanding that but also getting inside the people's heads, you know, that OSINT mindset of what would a normal person do or where could I look? Um, what would it what would it look like if I was to uh, be uh, an employee that didn't show up to work? Where might I be posting information that that somebody could find um, and, and really putting yourself in that other person's shoes? So there's a there's definitely a computer science component. But I think within the realm of things, you don't ab- you absolutely don't have to be a computer scientist to do OSINT at all. I'd agree with that. I think that the mindset is much more important, but you do need to at least a little bit. And I wouldn't say that you need to take computer science courses, but I think that um, what well they wouldn't help for one thing, but uh, or they wouldn't <laughs> that, not they wouldn't help they wouldn't hurt wow, they wouldn't hurt that's what I meant. <laughs> That was great. Okay, now, now all the computer scientists are going to become stabbing at me, but <laughs> <laughs> they would not hurt. You, you, it would not hurt to take any kind of programming class, and even if you just take a super basic one, or and I, I'm, I wouldn't even actually tell you to take like you know super basic, but I would tell everybody to take Python right now, right? Um, but I think that you don't need to. You just need to. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to agree. You need to understand kind of how the web works, even if you don't know the actual programming. Look at HTML at the very least. Yeah, it's it, it almost becomes a key. It can take your OSINT further. Um, if you take that person that's just savvy on the web and knows how all these things are connected, but then they hit a dead end when they're trying to locate this person. Yeah, the person that has that, you know, networking slash computer science, you know, extra background, they're going to be able to go into the, the source code and, or, you know, maybe drop the application that the mobile app they're using into an emulator and kind of blow it up from there. And maybe there's metadata in there somewhere that they can actually help geolocate a little bit further. So yeah, that, that computer science thing, it, it just, it kind of gets you just a, a couple steps further in some cases. So, um, but it, it all starts with that mindset of of the people thing getting into people's heads like micah said which is again kind of full circle takes us back into why osint and social engineering kind of starts to blur every once in a while because people are getting into people's heads and knowing what they might be able to to do or get them to do can i Uh, add something as well besides computer science you know the library sciences i mean the most i think most of the librarians now have computer science in their curriculums as well. Um, but if, you know, you, if you start from how we, how to work research, that's another way to Avenue to come in. Yeah. I think, I, there's, I, I think there's, I think there's multiple. I mean, you could even think about like psychology, I think could be useful. Um, mm-hmm. I have a media arts, which focuses on, you know, what's like it's, media arts. I feel like is a very attention to detail oriented because everything in frame has a reason for being there and it's meant to display or, you know, express some kind of meaning. Um, 
even the crappiest stuff you've probably ever watched, like someone thought about what was being in there. Um, so like I've seen, like I've applied a lot of that kind of thinking too to some of this stuff. It's like looking at like, even just going through source code, like what sticks out to me, what draws my eye to different things. And then I will, you know, either research it or, um, you know, use that as like a pivot point. Oh, I, that's like sparked something to me just now. Like when it reminds me that when you're, ta- when you're teaching this sort of things, do you ever have cl- uh, clients or people in your class, when you bring up a tool, they look at one section of it and they don't look at the whole tool and like all the other possibilities they are all around the edges. We said media arts, these things are there for a reason. There's, there's more to it. And people mm-hmm. tend to focus on one, one portion of a tool or website. Right. Well, I, th- I think that that's an extremely powerful point there, Kirby, that, that, it, it, it kind of, you know, when you get into a field, you start out with what you know. And then as you experience more as your assessments or your training or your your YouTube video watching or your classes take you into other areas, you, you become aware of so much more and you, you become able to do more. Uh, it's it's about getting more experienced. So so back to what Josh was saying about learning uh, some computer science skills or understanding the web or understanding Python, like you said, the more things you know like that, the, they amplify or enable what you're able to do. If you don't know that, if you can just do Google searches and Google dorks and things like that, you you still can get into OSINT. Just recognize that there's certain things that you'll be doing more manually um, or you might need a friend that knows Python or knows Ruby or Go or something to do that automation for you to increase your ability to do stuff. I think the best thing is networking, really, because you, what you don't know, somebody else does. If you get so into human the networks, networking, human, human, human networking to, to because you, no one's going to know it all. No one is going to. Yeah. I agree with you, and and that was one of the things that was quite humbling. In in uh, and you've been writing and presenting courses for for a long time, Kirby. I I just did one, and it was so humbling understanding the true breadth of of uh, what's out there as far as things that you could tackle in a in writing an OSINT class, and things that you, there's just not time enough to to tackle. Um, there's so much out there to know, and then once you know know of something then there's all those levels of well i only know the surface of it or i only know how to run this one tool but i don't understand all the intricacies so there's a lot to learn yeah we uh we brought up knowing your your specialties and your niches the the best thing about the networking with the other osint practitioners is everybody's got that that niche and if you get stuck and you need some help like over in the python side of things you know i can reach out to mike i can reach out to justin sites like there's all these people have their specialties and the more of them you're connected to the more powerful you know it's almost like having your own intelligence network that's actually what i think of um when i consider my you know i have my friends obviously but uh all these slack channels that i participate in they're basically like my own little intelligence network if if i need a little hint or a nudge going in one direction of an investigation i know probably about seven people that can help and the different perspectives are great too Oh yeah, outstanding. You know, three people will look at the same problem and come up with, you know, nine different paths to get there. So you mentioned Justin Sites. Let's give him a shout out. If you want to learn Python. Yeah, Python and, and OSINT. He was um in my early talks, um, I believe I gave a nod specifically to him. 
to Micah, to um, Michael Bazell, and and also to uh, Justin Nordine for the OSINT framework. Um, oh, yeah. Sites, he, uh, his automating OSINT blog has some outstanding examples where you can actually see um, why Python is useful in an OSINT investigation. Um, and then also he produced uh, Hunchly, which pretty much I think almost all of us have had a hand on, on one of those licenses to, to actually document our OSINT research. Um, it, it's, as far as I know, pretty much the go-to out there for uh, documenting your work and actually presenting it professionally. And who was that again? It's Justin Seitz, automatingosint.com. I also agree with the Hunchly. If, if you're just starting out as a you know consultant, use Hunchly because, one, it'll collect everything. You'll, be, you'll know your pathway, how you found something because your client is going to want that. But then it'll also come out in a nice report for you. And that's all you need to do. Hand it, up, hand it in. So uh, Adam also has a question about what are the most common barriers to get into OSINT? I, I would almost say it's the it's the opposite that the OSINT is something that anybody can do. You, I mean, there's resources online. There's there, you can just start finding things. the The challenge that I would say is what are some of the barriers that that really make it safe or the barriers to doing OSINT safely. Uh, there's there's certain areas of OSINT that are just on the surface level, and they're they're quite simple to do. Business intelligence, um, uh, doing information in social media, but then certain parts of of OSINT dive into hate groups and other areas where you really have to be careful about what you uh, what you're doing, what you're saying, where you're going, and what profile you present to them uh, as far as your system, your browser, and also. So I I don't think there's a barrier to doing OSINT. I think there's a there should be a barrier to people just jumping in and and penetrating these groups and saying, look, I'm OSINTing this hate group and then making themselves a target. Can I add there's a barrier that Micah has identified? It's in your own brain. That's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I'm going to point it to you. Oh, man. All right. Tell me more. Come on, Micah. You, had, you have a whole talk on this. Are you thinking about imposter syndrome? Yes. Hey, imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think uh, so. So it, it's really about confidence. I would say confidence in your abilities. Um, and and really, we were just talking about it just a second ago that that there's so much to know and learn um, in OSINT that many times people don't um, don't consider themselves to know enough to to be effective, but. When you compare yourself to things that Kirby or Josh or Tim have done and say, man, you know, I, I'm not even doing half of that stuff. It's okay. You know, we can all do a, a, a very competent job at OSINT without trying to know everything. In fact, the way that I try to do my work is and deal with my imposter syndrome is understanding that I can't know everything. But like Josh said, I know people that do know stuff, so I will pull in those those specialists, and I kind of create my own A team. If I can go back to TV shows from the nineteen eighties, um, you know, where I have somebody that's the coder, I have somebody that's the 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 person that works with jihadists, and I can ask them for information. Yeah, I'd say that my A team I have set up as well, and it's important that that human network is so important. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Josh knows. I go to him all the time with with questions. Oh, that uh, that one slide uh, um, that you've got on your imposter syndrome uh, talk is is awesome because once you get into that that networking role, um, you know the one I'm talking about. It's you know what I know and what others know, and that has the, all those little intersections. Uh, once you build out that network, you can pretty much just stamp that out into one thing and, and call it what me and all my badass friends know. And it's, it's a giant spider web. It's great. Yeah. I still feel, uh, I still will see and see uh, stuff that's tweeted or, or pushed into, you know, the open ocean Slack group or something. And I'm like, man, I should have known that. Why don't I know that? Damn. I gotta go. I actually have a huge list um, in one of my, uh, my cloud repositories of shit I don't know and and when I when I get a little down or when I get a little bit bored or whatever I'll pop open that list and go all right time to play with some telegram or some tinder well maybe not playing with tinder but you get the idea (laughs) you get the idea so when is OSINT illegal this was Adam's last question I'm not a lawyer (laughs) <laughs> that's probably yeah. a good thing to start with that um there so there's there's two barriers that we've really set up here within the scope of this podcast one is an ethical what you are or are not willing to do ethically and then the second is legally which is what laws what are the does the judicial system in whatever country you're in um or doing osinton have to say about it i do not know the laws in all the countries around the world um but it's my understanding, and again, uh, Kirby and Josh, you chime in here. Um, it's my understanding that uh, OSINT, as far as collecting and analyzing information on the internet, that's freely available, that you haven't had to misrepresent yourself to uh, brute force a username and password to gain unauthorized access to a system. But if it's just out there on the internet, um, gathering and analyzing that information most of the times, absolutely fine. The place where I've seen it kind of go awry is what do people do with that information? So um, my Strava talk that I did uh, in 2015, I gathered hundreds of thousands of Strava events that were freely available on the internet. Now, if I had tracked people down to their homes and started robbing their homes because I knew that every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they were out riding their bicycle on this 10-mile loop or something, that would have been wrong, obviously. But um, Kirby, Josh, Tim, what do you think? Um, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to say that if you, when you collect the information, it's, if it's freely available out there, that's legal. It's what you do with it. And my example would be like doxing somebody for targeted harassment. You, you know, you can, you can collect data, but then if you start putting it out back on the internet and kind of pointing at somebody and and telling, especially if you have some influence, have followers, that sort of thing, and start saying, oh, this person's evil, whatever. And then that causes harassment to that individual. I think you might be crossing over the legality border. I'm not entirely sure. You know, I mean, there's going to be some, you know, whether it's incitement or whether it's just you put it out there, but that's, that's something that's kind of going on in different court cases around the country right now. Yeah. Um, so Chris had Nagy just had a, his foundation come out. And I'm I'm blanking on the name. Um, oh yeah, Innocent Lives Foundation. Yeah, the Innocent Lives Foundation, which it, its whole objective is um, OSINT, you know, child predators, online child predators, to try and unmask mm-hmm. them. Now the thing about this is that um, 
they are like in collaboration with law enforcement. Um, so that, I mean, we're, we're kind of getting into the gray area, but I mean, I'm sure you're, Chris has, you know, crossed all his eyes and dotted his T's, which I know I just said backwards, but it's early. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, he, he's going through the proper channels to make sure that that is a legal thing. Um, I also think there's gray area around, you know, hitting the news right now is S3 buckets. Um, so if you find a publicly available S3 bucket with a bunch of sensitive information, if you go and just download all that, um, that could cause problems. Um, that's something that I would not want to even be, you know, touch with a 10 foot pole. If I were to see something like that, it's reported to report it to, um, the organization the best you can, um, which may or may not always be possible. Um, I there's think an example. Yeah. For that too. Yeah. A, that, a case example. There are gray areas when, and, and I, I, again, we're not lawyers, so we can't speak to it. And I think a lot of this is also going through the law system, law system, as like new things. Um, so people are getting in trouble when they had good intentions. Um, and you know, the, the, the government is trying to catch up on it, particularly in the U S I, I can't against like, as Mike had said, speak to other countries, but within our country, it's, there's a lot of trying to catch up on stuff. And, and so if you go just like download a bunch of sensitive information that that can be trouble. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Well, and, and also it goes back to your platform. You know, what, what where are you doing your OSINT research? Uh, if you're doing it on your main desktop or laptop computer or your mo- your personal mobile device that has yourself logged into Facebook and Twitters and, and has your personal data, if you're downloading stuff from S3 buckets or you're downloading stuff from other websites or visiting some of those more interesting places on the internet and not protecting yourself, then you could rapidly become a victim because... Let's face it, you know, there are people out there that understand that when I see a document that says passwords.xls, I'm going to download that and, and open it. And if there's a little pop-up in it that says, hey, you know, the macros are in, you have to enable macros in order to access the passwords here for security. I'm going to click through that. Well, doing that on my main system could easily get me exposed to a Trojan or, or some, type of ex, uh, some type of exploit uh, tool. So making sure that your platform is is safe, secure, and isolated is extremely important to conducting uh, OSINT investigations properly. This can go back with the passwords too. You get that passwords file. It's OSINT. It was just hanging out on the internet. But they, the people who put it there, maybe they don't know that it's out there and they mean for it to be private. So it kind of causes an ethical question, but also what you do with it. If you just look at it, that's one thing. If you take those passwords and log in, yeah, Something just cross the line there. Yeah, because well, most, most, most uh, working in the state of South Carolina, I mean, every every system we had to put on some kind of warning that you are logging into this and you can be prosecuted by law. So just logging in, the act of logging into something you're not authorized to, just because you found some passwords, um, can get you in trouble if found. Dave Mashburn and I are doing a, a webcast for SANS on March 2nd, and one of the things that I've been looking into is a little deeper into S3 buckets and DigitalOcean spaces. And what I'm finding is, yeah, there's there's sensitive files out there. There's a lot of files that are just weirdness, um, but there are a, kind of a class of automated text files that that certain tools place onto these writable 
spaces, the S3 buckets. And it's kind of neat. It's almost like the the white knight coming through and saying, hey, you know, this digital ocean spaces area is wide open to anybody can write to it. Please fix it. And they leave this little text file. Sometimes the text file says, you know, if you if you found this useful, then come over to my website and maybe give me some money on Patreon or or enroll me in your bug bounty program. But it, it is kind of, you know, doing scanning and doing open source intelligence uh, for good as well. Um, just doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. But right. there is a little legal part because you're technically writing into somebody else's space that they didn't give you permission to. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of wrapping up here, and this is a great question uh, to, to head towards the end on um, from Oak Investigation Services on Twitter. What is your go-to resource or tool besides Google? Kirby. I would almost say that it has to be um, some, of the, some of the tools that point to other tools, like, for example, the OSINT framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and the new one coming out from the Twitter user Technoset. There's a link list. Yeah. Well, I actually use Kirby, so she would be my go-to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with Kirby. I think when I look at, um, if we're talking about tools and websites, obviously OSINT Framework and, and the start.me page by Technosat, um, but uh, also what I, I've one of my my tools of choice now uh, for a one-stop shop that is just amazingly well developed and free, as in beer, is Spiderfoot by uh, by Steve Mikolaf. It's a great tool under constant development, and it really does whatever type of OSINT you want it to do, from finding information about people to IP addresses and more. Josh, did you have any? Um, definitely voice up uh, the collections like the OSINT framework. Um, I still find myself jumping over to uh, IntelTechniques.com's uh, tools page uh, for a lot of the social media jumping around that I do in Facebook all the time. Um, that's that's definitely one of my go-tos still. Um, but yeah, the, those two for sure be the top of the list for me. Here's a question for you guys. Does anybody still use RSS at all? I mean, I use it for just keeping up with things. Me too. I feel like I'm the only person who uses it now, though. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I still use Feedly. Um, okay, yeah, so do I. Um, what was the the Google's old one? I love that one. Now I know, that one's good. Are yeah. you are you going on to Feedly via your AOL account from the CD, or do you have to <laughs> dial-up modem for that? <laughs> no, I use dial-up. Dial-up, yeah, yeah. It's good. Satellite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Satellite dial-up. <laughs> I like the lag. No, so, I, I haven't used RSS in a long time because most of the time, what I want is uh, I, I need an answer to a certain thing. So uh, I don't know. I just I, I haven't made the time to do RSS anymore. I, I think of just like as far as awareness and what's going on on a regular basis. What is going on in the background, Josh? My gosh. Oh, he stopped. He's, I think he's doing Zumba or something. It sounds like he's typing on like an oldie timey typewriter. Maybe. Are you that? Or, I thought it was like a phone ring. So I was like, it's going to end. And then it never did. And now he's muted. So <laughs> <laughs> he won't talk. I ran away. Sorry. Wasn't me this time. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I just use it for just keeping up with the industry and even just 
you know, baseball and, and video games and things like that. So that's what I use it for too. But then there's some kind of like specialty cases where I will put, you know, some folders together for different cases, I guess. I guess also, I guess kind of along those lines, just Google alerts. I like setting those up for, I I set those up into RSS. Oh, you can do that. Yeah. Go into it. That's the best way. So it's who needs more email. I, well, I, my inbox is, fairly clean because i set up rules all over the place anytime i get a marketer it's I, I started doing that like within the last several months and it's it's actually been really amazing um i mean to i need to do that i do yeah it, it takes like you just do it over time um but now i have like you know i get two to three emails in my actual inbox and like 46 and a vendor folder that i have set up that i still like there's still stuff i need to check so i go in there and just look at it and if i don't see anything it's just check the box for all and then delete um, that's also a really good way to clean up older emails, uh, from, from stuff too. So, all right. Is there, was there any other, anything else you guys want to make mention of before we wrap up here? Is this the shameless self-promotion section? It can be. I was going to, cause one of Adam's questions that I just totally ignored, but was planning on getting to, uh, was the most recognizable OSINT course, which I think Micah, you would have something to say. Uh, about that. <laughs> nah, I think it's actually curvy, uh, but you I'm know, getting there. Mine are all private. So, Oh, all right. Boom. Oh. Yeah. Well, you yeah. can subscribe, right? So, so let's, yeah, let's actually go along that. Like, it, like just regular people can just sign up or is this usually just organizations that, uh, get a subscription? No, no, regular people can start to sign up to the portal. That's not my normal course. My normal course, I travel around and I do classes. It's, um, that's usually a private thing. I do speak at some conferences. So I'm going to say that that sounds course, and that's going to be the, a lightning rod. I mean, I think that uh, you know, having an organization like Sands behind a big course like that, you're going to be getting a lot of business, I think. I'm hoping. I, and, you know, it, it kind of goes to, so so uh, the SANS class is a six-day class, and it's a foundational-level class where we go wide and with all, uh, touching a lot of the different areas of, of OSINT. Uh, it's a hands-on class. We'll do labs that are somewhat technical, but very easily digestible. Because as we mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, you know, I recognize that that OSINT really is for everyone, whether you're an insurance insurance claims investigator, a PI that's been doing physical work, but not necessarily the cyber work, or somebody that's a hardcore pen, tor- pen tester. Um, OSINT really is for everybody, and that's that's really the audience that I've been working on this class for. Um, so our first class is in um, Tyson's Corner, Virginia, March 19th. We're open for registration right now. And uh, after that, we've got a bunch of different places. We'll be headed out west. We'll be coming back to Baltimore. It's a good time. Yeah, and that's uh, SEC 487 title, Open Source Intelligence Gathering and Analysis. Yes. I didn't didn't think you had mentioned the actual course number. but No, I don't think um, so. And there's a really badass uh, challenge coin that that students will get if they win the CTF. it out yeah i don't know if anybody's seen it but oh i saw it that was cool yeah it's pretty cool the the course for a lot of the examples and stuff we're using uh the princess bride the wonderful 1980s movie um and so the the challenge coin is is princess bride theme but the thing that people don't know about the challenge coin is that on one side of it there's a red um kind of area on the bottom that's blank there's something special in that area 
on the actual challenge coin that's not in those images. So, um, yeah, pretty fun stuff. And I'm looking forward to teaching it and meeting some students. But, Kirby, didn't you say that you were going to be at a conference this weekend? Oh, I am. I heard you were going to be at a conference this weekend as well. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> we're both going to, you know, head, down, head out to uh, Northern Virginia and do B-Sides Nova. Yep. Be the is, that fe- is that February 24th? Yep. It, this that probably is. won't be out by then, right? No, no. That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, everybody, you just missed <laughs> us at this conference. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Kirby, was that was that besides Nova awesome or what? I mean, it was, it was <laughs> oh, amazing. That was the best conference. Of, yes. Yeah. And that embarrassing thing you did, you know, nobody's ever going to know that. No one saw that. No one <laughs> <Nope>. saw that. <laughs> Good cover for me, though. Yeah, I got you back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, um, I don't know if you have in this class, um, going back to your SANS class, this will, because I'm going to try to get this out before it, but it's probably going to be too late to register. It might be. I don't know. The class might be full by then. Um, and I see, like, the, the room rate for the for the for the course is set to close on February 21st, which it, I will definitely have it out by then. Um, but if you can still sign up, absolutely sign up. I actually plan to be there, but uh, I was talking to you and you said that there's going to be more dates throughout this year. Absolutely. Yeah. We're looking at a, a second running out West. Probably we're looking at Denver in the June timeframe, and then we'll be bringing it back to the East coast in September. Uh, for uh, B-Sides, I mean, not B-Sides, I'm sorry, for a SANS event up in Baltimore in September. And then we're headed back out west, and it'll be in Las Vegas in in the uh, second part of September. Uh, and then throughout the, the rest of the year, it'll it'll keep running. And some people have asked uh, whether it'll be recorded, whether it'll be in the on-demand format, whether there'll be a cert. The answer is yes, yes, and, and yes, eventually. Uh, we need to make sure that the class is in a, a good, solid state with no bugs and that uh, people are enjoying it. And then those things will come. Cool. What What else do you guys have? I know there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, what about you, Josh? Uh, conferences are going to be a little lighter for me this year. Uh, I'm planning on trying to maybe get out to CarolinaCon in April. Um, definitely hit up DerbyCon again this year. Um, but we've got uh, I got plans to kind of focus a little more internally on my uh, my website at LearnAllTheThings.net. I'm going to keep doing some good blog examples. Um, and I need to. I'm going to re-record the uh, real-time OSINT talk. Um, that I did at B-Sides Charleston um, last year because the uh, the beginning of that got clipped on the video. So I'm going to redo that one, and I've actually got a few things to add to it. So I'll be looking to release some some talks uh, internally to my website and uh, just kind of doing some side project type stuff this year. So I'll be out there just a little more low-key this year. Yeah, I'm going to be at the VCAN, Virginia Crime Analysis Network Conference. That's going to be 23rd of March. Um, I think that non-members can be in there, but you know, if you're if you're in Virginia, you should probably uh, even if you're doing crime analysis at all, you should join this network. Um, again, that's March 23, and then I'm going to also do HTCIA in DC this year. Um, HTCIA, it's High Tech Criminal Investigation Association, that is open to anybody who wants to join. If you're going to do any kind of um, crime investigations, and a lot of it is forensics, but you know, it's getting stronger and stronger on the OSINT side. 
it's kind of a fun place. Also a great place if you are a consultant to meet customers. Awesome. Um, I know Chris Hadnagy has some OSINT, advanced OSINT courses that he's been, uh, he does either on his own or um, I know he did one at DerbyCon last year and he's doing Black Hat as well. So just to throw out some more options for courses. So uh, Josh and I did a webcast. Uh, Dave Mashburn and I are doing another webcast. Josh and I are going to be uh, uh, headed to Carolina Con. I'm going to throw you under the bus there, buddy. Um, we'll be, I'll be at B-Sides Charm uh, talking uh, about some stuff as well as B-Sides Nova, which just passed, um, and uh, a variety of other conferences throughout the year. So if you are at any of those, stop on by. Say hi. Yep. So now we're going to do something weird um, because I just hit record um, and didn't we didn't do any kind of introductions for anybody, which I want to try. I'm actually experimenting with this. This is this is a beta podcast for people that don't know. This is a uh, kind of along the same lines of the conference ones that I do, um, but this one's more. I mean, we're doing it on Skype. It looks like it's going to be about an hour and a half long. Um, but uh, if everyone could just introduce themselves, talk uh, like their Twitter or any other websites that they want to promote. Um, uh, I guess, Micah, we'll start with you. Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Micah Hoffman. I am a OSINT investigator and SANS instructor. Uh, my hand- handle on Twitter is WebBreacher, and I have a website, webbreacher.com. Hi, my name is Kirby Plessis. I run Plessis Experts Network. We are at plessis.net. My OSINT uh, uh, experience is mostly intelligence and investigations. My Twitter handle is Kerbster. That's K-I-R-B-S-T-R. Um, that's it. Thanks. Cool. Hey, everybody. I'm Josh Huff. I'm a digital forensics analyst and private investigator in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, my Twitter handle is Beowulf88, and you can check out my blog at learnallthethings.net. Yep. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, and this is for the listeners, is if this helped with, uh, you know, now that you've heard their names at the end, I'm curious about that because I've listened to podcasts before. And uh, people introduce themselves, and then I forget who's who. <laughs> so I'm curious if this like actually works the reverse way. If it doesn't, I will absolutely then go back and for future stuff. Again, this is like a beta episode, so we'll work out some of the kinks on this. Um, so well, thanks, thanks for saying that, Micah. This is uh, Tim to block everybody. <laughs> I'd like to <laughs> welcome you. <laughs> yeah. This is at the end, so I mean, you can't really mess with it now. Um, yeah. Um, so I think that's going to do it. Any, any other last comments? Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. On. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for coming on. Um, I think that's going to do it then. Um, if, uh, you guys want to reach out to me for feedback at Timothy D block on Twitter, Timothy dot D block at gmail.com. My website, Timothy forward slash E I S. This uh, will be under the OSINT category. So uh, be sure to go check that out. Um, we, I'm going to ask you guys to send me all the links uh, that you can provide so we can provide just a ton of resources for people in there. I was, uh, I was happy to see that people uh, send in questions um, considering I kind of did that last minute. This might be something that we do more open um as far as like recording it live so uh we'll, we'll fire it up and then hopefully there's more interaction with people and things like that but we'll we'll see how this goes if people hate it then we will never do this again um which makes this uh one of a kind so 
Uh, it's been great, guys. Uh, thank you. And uh, that's going to do it. <laughs>